Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Total Bases Express Show. I am your host, Austin Spiro. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another episode of the podcast. We are going to continue our greatest of all time series, the greatest second baseman of all time today, and I am joined with my friend, Kevin. Kevin Miller. Kevin, how are you doing today? Doing all right, man. Looking forward to uh, talking some second base, and for those who may have missed the show last week, uh, we celebrate Festivus a little bit on the show yeah. by making sure that we uh, like Mr. Costanza, we air our grievances. So we are going to air our grievances with the second base list uh, because uh, from what I can tell, there will be numerous. There will be numerous. I have a feeling. Yes. Um, Kevin just put out another poll. He's putting out a poll series right now of, uh, I guess, essentially it's uh, the best or who you, who you would put your life on the line defensively in terms of baseball players, and you just posted uh, catchers. Um, I believe my choice was Yadier Molina. I chose Yadier Molina. Uh, who would be yours in terms of catching? Who would you put, if your life was on the line and that guy could not make an error, who would you put behind the plate? Yeah, so it's a little bit different than just best, right? Because it, it encompasses just no errors. So it's almost like cleanest feeling, right? right? Um, but with catcher, there's almost no difference, right? So it's it's not like range is a big factor with catchers. So I would probably uh, I'd probably go with Molina. Um, I would I would not have a problem with a bunch of different choices actually. Um, but uh, Molina's probably the guy I'd go with. I, I almost want to say Johnny Bench because we're not having to think about throwing guys out necessarily yeah. unless you think they're going to throw the ball away. <laughs> right. Um, but I'd probably just to, uh, just to save myself from feeling really stupid. If I made the wrong choice, I'd probably go with Molina. Yeah. I, I, I entertained the notion of Johnny bench, but I felt like if you're talking about the, the fielding altogether, cause you're right. Cause there really is no difference when it comes in catcher, when it comes to, making an error and general fielding altogether. Um, you know, uh, Molina was just a better thrower. He was much better at, at throwing it down to second base. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd pick Molina as well, but we're not here to discuss catchers. We'll discuss catchers here. Uh, later we are going to discuss the greatest second baseman of all time. Uh, so without further ado, let's get started. Um, with the greatest second baseman of all time. Uh, I think I've got it. Oh, there it goes. Um, and let me, okay. Should be good. You got it over there. Good. Okay. All right. So we're going to talk about the greatest second baseman of all time. Let's get started with our just missed the cut. These are the next five people that just missed the cut in 11th, Jeff Kent, uh, Jeff Kent, technically finished in 10th, but he lost in the tiebreaker to our 10th place guy finishing in 11th place at 12th. We have Charlie Geringer to me. This is the first mistake. He should have been on there. Second. The second mistake is the guy that's 13th Bobby Gritch. And maybe this is necessary. Maybe this is more my angels fandom, but I think Bobby Gritch at least deserves to be closer than 13th on this list. Uh, Chase Utley finished in 14th and Willie Randolph in 15th. Um, I think the biggest surprises to me that are on here are Charlie Geringer and, and probably Bobby Gritch. Uh, would, do you see it that way, Kevin? 
I definitely see it that way about Geringer. I don't see a world where Charlie Geringer isn't a top seven, let alone 10 uh, second baseman of all time. And uh, I can, I can see an argument really for uh, Gritch, Utley or Kent, depending on what you're looking for uh, being in the top 10. Uh, Utley doesn't get as much love because his career was a little bit shorter due to, to injury, not necessarily shorter in years, but shorter in games played because uh, second half of his, of his career, he missed a lot of games, but his numbers hold up uh, really well um, compared to some of these other guys. Uh, I definitely would would air a grievance about Charlie Geringer, uh, yeah. an absolute stud, belongs in the top ten. Uh, you could replace several different guys that I believe are going to be on this list with Charlie Geringer, and the list would be better. Yeah, I I agree. Um, Chase Utley, I feel like he doesn't get a lot of love, but do you feel like it also has to do kind of with his reputation as a player? Because I feel like, especially later in his career, he kind of got he kind of garnered more of a reputation as I don't know if you want to call it a dirty player, but not necessarily um, a player that a lot of people were wanting to root for. And I think necessarily, I think what I'm more specifically talking about is the. Um, I believe was it Dodgers Mets when he took out the Ruben the, Tejada, right? Yeah, he took out Ruben Tejada, and everybody was all up in arms over because Chase Utley did that. And I, I per, uh, personally, I never took an issue with that. I thought that was just a good, hard, clean slide. But you know, it is it is what it is. Do you feel like maybe his uh, reputation later, uh, later maybe a more negative light kind of screwed him over on this list as well? It could have. Um, I, th- I think a lot of that had to do with the fact he re- he actively refused to apologize about it when asked. It wasn't so much like that it got like he just didn't talk about it. It was they were like, hey, do you want to apologize to Ruben Tejada or say anything to him? And as far as as I remember, and, and if anyone out there remembers differently and wants to correct me, feel free. But as far as I remember, he actively declined to do so. Yeah. Um, and I think if he would have done that, even if it was like, I don't apologize for making the hard baseball play, but I apologize for what happened. Like, I think even if he did it like that, I think he would have had a better reputation because honestly, the first half of his career, Chase Utley was well loved, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because he was really good, but also I think people appreciated his personality and his off field yeah. charity work and things like that. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think. The, the hard slide on Tejada, and I believe there was another hard slide. At some I believe point. there was two. I remember the yeah. one on Tejada because that one was in the playoffs. But right. did I, he I, did I he break like the leg of uh, uh, the Pirates utility guy? I don't remember his name. I don't though. think that was him. That wasn't him. Okay, I don't think I couldn't remember was. who did that. I can't remember either. We'll have to look it up later. Um, so those are the first five that, or those are the first five that just missed the cut: Jeff Kent, Charlie Geringer, Bobby Grinch. Bobby Gritch, Chase Utley, and Willie Randolph. Let's get to number 10. Number 10 is Detroit Tigers uh, star Lou Whitaker. Lou Whitaker spent 19 years in the bigs with the Tigers from 1977 to 1995. Played 2,390 career games. That's 91st all time. Good for a 118 weighted runs created plus, a 68.1 war. 
He appeared in five All-Star games, was the 1978 Rookie of the Year, won three gold gloves and four silver sluggers in his 19-year career with the Tigers. Lou Whitaker starts off our list at number 10. Um, I I guess I could do with Lou Whitaker at number 10. The 118 weighted runs created plus kind of has a kind of takes issue with me, but He's got better numbers than some of the other guys that are ranked a little higher than him. Lou Whitaker at number 10. What do you think, uh, Kevin? Whitaker's a hard guy to rank for me. And, yeah. and I feel this way about a lot of guys who have a similar career path. And what I mean by that is Lou Whitaker was never elite. And what I mean there is that he was never the best player at his position. And he was never, you know, a top 10 player in baseball but he was really good for a long time. And it's, it's hard to, to balance longevity and peaks when you think of all time lists, but I think, and I I think this is correct. I think we generally favor peaks as long as there, as long as some longevity exists. Yeah. And Whitaker's peak just wasn't as high as some of these other guys. Right. Not to take anything away from Sweet Lou. I like him. I probably, if I were to redo my list based on everything that I've researched since then, I would probably have him about number 10, maybe 11, somewhere right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's tough. It, it's tough to, to think about Whitaker being number 10 while Garinger, for example, another tiger uh, is 12th, right? Garinger right. is 12th. Yeah. And so I can't, I can't be okay with Whitaker 10 if Garinger's 12. Exactly. Um, so speaking of his, uh, speaking to his consistency on baseball reference, you can look up OPS plus and OPS plus is essentially, it's a stat where it's normalized, um, based on era and league play and ballpark you played in and stuff like that. Um, so it evens it out across the board. You're looking for a hundred or you're looking for higher than a hundred, anything, at 100 is league average. Anything below 100 is below league average. And anything above is uh, above 100 is above league average. In 19 seasons, um, Lou Whitaker was only below 100 twice. Uh, his 1977, where he only had like a handful of at-bats. He had 32 at-bats. He, he hit a 67 OPS plus. And then in 1980, he hit for a 69 OPS plus in 568 plate appearances. But other than that, they are all above 500, but they're all within the range of anywhere from 101 to 135. So you're not looking at spectacular or anything, but he's consistently good, right? And I, and I would attest to what you're saying is, Consistency kind of takes a backseat to a really good three or really dominant three or four years, right? Usually we remember that more than somebody who was consistently good like Lou Whitaker. Yeah, and this thought just came to mind uh, because Fred McGriff just got elected to the Hall of Fame right uh, last Monday. I, I think of Whitaker in a very similar light to Fred McGriff. Obviously different positions and, and McGriff had much more power. Um, but McGriff is a guy who I think belongs in the Hall of Fame, and I think Lou Whitaker belongs in the Hall of Fame. But right. Fred McGriff did not make our top 10 first baseman's list, and I think that's probably correct. Yeah. Maybe Lou Whitaker should have been just a touch lower. Uh, somewhere from 10 to 15 sounds right to me. I would have. makes I the top 10, 10 is the, the spot. I don't think he can be any higher than this. 
I would I would agree with that as well. I think if Lou Whitaker was anywhere higher than 10, especially with some of the other second basemen that didn't make the list, I think it would have been an issue. Um, not only do we think he should, or Kevin should uh, thinks he should be in the Hall of Fame, so does Melvin. Melvin in the comments is saying that Lou Whitaker should also be in the Hall of Fame. Um, so, yeah. Well, we'll see because I believe, didn't he play? He played second and Trammell played short, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. They, so, are, they are like, I think they might be number one in terms of innings played together as a middle infield combo. I think yeah, they might so, be number and one. Look how long it took Alan Trammell to make it. So maybe eventually Sweet Lou will make it into the Hall of Fame. Who's he? Who knows? Um, let's look <laughs> at our number nine second baseman of all time. Number nine is Nap. Oh, God. Nap. Is it Lajoy? I think it's Lajoy, right? Yes. I can never, I can never pronounce this correctly. <laughs> Nap, <laughs> Nap or Napoleon Lajoy played twenty one, played twenty one years in the bigs with the with the Phil, with the Phillies, the A's, the Philadelphia A's, and then the Cleveland Bronchos, who then turned into the Cleveland Naps, which were named after Nap Lajoy. I always think that's super interesting. They named the team after Nap. I thought that I think that's cool. From 1896 to 1916, he played in 2,480 career games, which is good for 66th all time. He's 22nd all time in career average at 338. He has a 144 weighted runs created plus, good for 44th all time. He is the 19th best war in Major League history, 102.2. He won the Triple Crown in 1901 and is 15th all-time in hits, 3,242 hits. This is my next grievance. Nap Lajoie needs to be higher. He needs to be way higher than number nine, um, I, especially with some of the other people that we have coming up. The fact that Nap Lajoie is down here, I think, is a travesty. But I also think the reason why he's down here is because he played – in you know, he started playing in the 1800s, in the 1890s, and usually the older players, you know, we call it recency bias. The old, the older players kind of get cast to the side as we as we uh, get farther and farther into history. Is that why you think um, Nap Lajoie is down at number nine, or do you think he should be down here at number nine? Nap Lajoie does not belong at number nine. <laughs> That's what uh, I, was I think he's. I think he should probably be in the top five. Uh, it, it, it's got to be the fact that he played so long ago. That's the only thing that makes sense for why he's so low on this list. I mean, when you think about just the numbers, you're, you're already looking at objective statistics that show that he was better than some of the guys who are higher than him on this list. But also when you consider some of the, uh, some of the other things, you know, reputation while he played, uh, he was a guy that was viewed as the second best hitter, um, behind Ty Cobb for a few years. Yeah. And as, as a matter of fact, a cool story about Nap Lajoie is that he and Ty Cobb were uh, neck and neck for the batting title one year. And the, the player who was going to win the batting title was going to also win a car. And Ty Cobb was ahead by, I think, five points on batting average going into the final game of the season. And both players uh, had a double header that day. So Ty Cobb sat out thinking he was going to protect his uh, his lead in batting average. And Nap Lajoie proceeded to go eight for eight to win the batting title. <laughs> oh. dude went eight for eight and won the batting title. Uh, there was some controversy after, worried about, uh, worried about uh, uh, the, the, the stats. And so both players ended up getting the car. Uh, but Nap Lajoie went eight for eight to win the batting title on the last day of the season. 
Gotta love baseball. God, I love this game. Um, so I mean, the other thing is no other baseball player in the major leagues in major league history has ever had a team named after them because he was so good. <laughs> like he played on the team that named the team after him because he was so goddamn good. Like, why is he down here? He needs to be up in the top, at least top five. Uh, maybe even top three, you can even have a conversation with, but come on. I mean, I, I think the fact that he has a whole team named after him is, is, is an, enough to say, why is he down at number nine? He needs to be way up higher. I just, I, for the life of me, will never understand this. Um, but Cy Young even said he's the best right-handed hitter he faced, which yeah. is, which is ahead of Honus Wagner, who, you know, uh, is probably, going to be pretty high on the shortstop list. And Cy Young said that Nap Lajoy was a better hitter than Honus Wagner. I mean, I mean, to play for 21 years and to have this kind of numbers, I know the game was different back then. I know it wasn't as complicated and you got more wrinkles thrown in in today's game. But I mean, baseball is a game of failure. And the fact that you could play the 66th most, most games of all time and still be tied for 22nd in career average, that's just bananas good. Like, I don't understand. This is my this is my first real grievance. Lou Whitaker being or Charlie Gerringer not being on the list, I guess, is my first one. But Nap Lajoie here, come on, you got to have him higher. Um, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I, I, be, I believe it was the 1901 season, but uh, Nap Lajoie had an 1100 OPS in a year where he hit under 15 home runs and had under 50 walks. <laughs> Can you imagine? how hard it is to have an 1100 OPS in a year where you don't walk or hit home runs. That's just, I mean, let's see 1901 season. He was it 1901. Let's see. He had a 426 batting average a 463 OBP 643 slugging with 11 with a one th with a 1.106 OPS. He hit. he led the league with 14 homers. And he had, let's see, led the league with 28 doubles, 125 RBIs, 24 walks. <laughs> 24, 24 walks, walks and 14 in, in 582 plate appearances. Oh, I love, I love looking at stats from this, from this far back. I love it. It's, it's just bananas. I love it. Um, yeah, that year he led the league in runs, hits, doubles, homers, RBIs, batting average. OBP, slugging, OPS, OPS plus at 198 uh, total bases. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> 1901, pretty safe to say no wonder he won the 1901 Triple Crown. All right, so as much as we don't like that he's down at number nine, he is down at number nine, Nap Lajue, um, the man that a whole team was named after him because he was so damn good. Uh, let's go to number eight. Number eight, Craig Biggio. Craig Biggio spent a 20-year career with the Astros from 1988 to 2007. Not only did he play second base, he also played the outfield, and he played catcher. He spent he played 2,850 total games, which is good for 18th all-time. Um, he hit for a career 115 weighted runs created, plus a 65.8 war, which is good for 85th all-time. He appeared in seven all-star games, won three gold gloves, five silver sluggers and his 26 all-time in hits with 3060. 
I would rank him maybe uh, he he's I feel like he's just about the same realm as Lou Whitaker, but certainly not better than Nap Lajouet. Um, what do you think about Craig Biggio at number eight? I agree with with your assessment there. Uh, Biggio belongs somewhere from eight to fifteen, uh, probably in the eight to twelve range is my. Uh, is my thought on it. He was a very good player for a very long time. Uh, I don't, I don't I think he. I loved Craig Biggio. I loved him. Oh yeah. I mean, he, he, and the fact that he could play multiple positions was fun. He was a guy that, you know, for, for numerous years would hit a lot of doubles and, you know, 15 to 20 home runs and a lot of RBIs. He hit all over the, the lineup. You know, he'd hit first, he'd hit second, he'd hit third. He hit lower in the order. Um, so he's a fun player and a very good player. But I wonder if maybe we overrate him slightly because of how fun he was as a player. You know, I, he would steal bases and hit doubles and he'd hit a few home runs. So everybody pretty much liked him. So I wonder if maybe we slightly overrate him because of that. And I was thinking that, especially with the research that I was doing, and he may be he may be slightly be a little bit of a compiler because he's in the top 20 in game in um, games played. Right. So he played for a long time. Right. And he's got a 65.8 war, which is five wins above the mark that you're looking at of uh, uh, a hall of fame consideration at 60. He's got, you know, 26 all time in hits, things like that. He may be a little bit of a compiler. And with that, you're looking maybe at the fact that maybe some of these numbers are inflated a little bit because he played for so long because you look at kind of his career, his career slash line here at 281, 363 and 433. He doesn't sniff the top 100 all time, although sniffing the top 100 all time is really hard. When you're looking at greatest of all time, you got to be at least sniffing that. And none of those metrics are even close. And one, the 115 weighted runs created plus again, it's not even close. He's he's he was almost he's just slightly above a career average hitter. So, you know, but at the same time, we see a lot of that in terms of second base. Second base was not an offensive position and still, for the most part, is not an offensive position the way that we the way that we see offense. You're not looking for the big power bat at second base. And he wasn't even second base. I mean, I guess he was second base, but I think he was the early, uh, early version of a platoon or not a platoon player, a utility player, right? Wouldn't you say he was uh, kind of the early version of a utility player before a utility player was really a thing? I think, I think that's probably true for the end of his career. You know, where he, when he did bounce around between uh, left field, center field and second base, I think uh, the middle of his career, he was pretty, pretty heavily at second base. You know, he was obviously a catcher when he first came up, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I could, I could see him being labeled as a utility guy and everybody for the most part, everybody overrates the utility guy a little bit because yeah. it's a cool novelty. Um, I, I think that Craig Biggio is, is a guy who was like Whitaker, very good for a long time, right. but probably was never the best player on his team. You know, because Jeff Bagwell at the beginning of his career and then Lance Berkman at the end right. of his career, you know, he's part of the Killer Bees, which is a very popular offense. Right. Um, so I, I think he's a guy that is very good, probably slightly overrated. Yeah. Um, probably I would agree belongs with that as, at the back of this list. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. As much as I love BGO, there were definitely better second basements in, in all time. Um, and the Baseball Life Facebook group thought that this next guy was the was better than BGO. At number seven all time, we have Eddie Collins. Eddie Collins spent a 25-year career with the Philadelphia A's and more, more the Chicago White Sox from 1906 to 1930. Fun fact, he was one of the only people not to get messed up in the Chicago Black Sox case. He's he's one of the only ones to be, if I if I read correctly, one of the only ones to be believed not to participate in the gambling scandal of the Chicago Black Sox. He's 22nd all-time with 2,826 games played. <clears throat> he hit for a 333 career average, which is good for 28th all-time, 424 on base, which is good for 12th all-time. He's got a uh, he's tied for 44th all time at a 144 weighted runs created plus 11th all time in war at 120.5. He won the MVP in 1914. He won the World Series six times, 1910, 1911, 13, 17, 29 and 30. And his 12th all time in hits at 3,315. Eddie Collins, another one that I think should be high or should be higher. But I think it's because one. He was in that Black Sox. He was he was on that Black Sox team, and two, he played in the early played in the early twentieth century. So, what do you think about Eddie Collins at number seven? Yeah, I think Eddie Collins should be a little bit higher. Um, at first glance, you would think he should be much higher. Yeah. But then you got to then you've got to remember that Nap Lajway belongs higher as well, and potentially Charlie Geringer belongs. Uh, I think Geringer and Collins should be very close together. Right. Uh, I think five, five or six, maybe seven uh, fits those guys, but probably, you know, probably five or six. Uh, Eddie Collins was, was a guy who was, when he played, uh, was the best contact hitter in baseball for a good chunk of his career. You know, some of it overlapped with Ty Cobb. Uh, who you would probably say is a little bit better in that realm. Yeah. But Eddie Collins was, and I don't think this is unfair to say, I think he was the second base version of Ty Cobb in terms of playing style. Right. Uh, he, he stole a lot of bases, which don't often get mentioned. Um, he stole 80 bases, I believe, multiple times. He was the first uh, first guy to do it in back-to-back seasons, I, I believe uh, I read. And and he he was uh, actually the manager on those last two World Series teams in 29 and 30. He was a player manager. He barely played uh, at the end. Uh, he was pretty much just a pinch hitter and defensive replacement. But uh, that's just kind of a cool thing that he was a really good player, but also led a team to multiple championships as a manager as well. Um, I think I think he belongs a little bit higher. I, I agree. So talking about um, stolen bases, he stole 80 bases one time. He stole 80 okay. bases in 1910. He stole 81. Um, but I mean, the year before 1909, he stole 63. 1912, he also stole 63. He stole 55 and 13, 58 and 14, uh, 53 and 17. I mean, the man stole a lot of bases. Overall total, he stole 741 bases in his career. That's a lot of stolen bases. <laughs> you're, you're, no, nobody in their career now is going to be even sniffing anywhere close to 700. So, you know, that, that is a lot of stolen bases. He has, <laughs> he has um, over 700 more stolen bases than he does homers in his career. 
<laughs> yeah, he did not hit. He did not hit the ball over the fence. I think what was it less than a hundred? He had forty-seven homers in his career. Wow. <laughs> uh, but that was a different time. No, they weren't really hitting home runs in that time. Um, it was a lot of doubles, and you know, the, it was bigger parks. So you know, if you were going to hit a homer, you really had to clock it. Um, so yeah, Eddie Collins, uh, number seven. Let's move to number six because oh, we got to get going here. Uh, number six um, is uh, obviously another second baseman is uh, let's talk about this. Number six is Roberto Alomar. Robbie Alomar spent a 17 year career with the Padres, Blue Jays, Orioles, what is then the Indians, Mets, White Sox, and Diamondbacks from 1988 to 2004. He played in 2,379 games played. He had a career 118 weighted runs created plus a 63.6 war played in 12 all-star games. It was a four-time silver slugger and a 10-time gold glove winner with Roberto Alomar on this list. I do not want to hear any more people in the baseball live Facebook group. Talk about the character clause. I am not going to listen to any of you talk about the character clause anymore, because if you want to talk about the character clause, we got to talk about Robbie Alomar here. This dude has so many off the field issues. It's not even funny. You got domestic violence issues. You got, he's running around with, what was it? STDs or Mm -hmm. something. HIV. HIV. Something -hmm. like that. He's running around, giving it to everybody. He's got domestic violence. He's got sexual assault. He's got everything under the sun. And we're still ranking him the sixth best or sixth best second baseman of all time. I don't want to hear any more about this, about this um, character clause. If you're going to put Roberto Alomar in there, I just, I don't know. I, I, I cede the floor to you because I know you did some research on Robbie Alomar and you were surprised at how terrible of a person Robbie Alomar is off the field. Go ahead. Yeah. I don't know how I missed it <laughs> because the, the list is very long uh, and it, it's not just, Oh, he made one or two mistakes and they all got caught. No, he, he had multiple different domestic violence uh, incidents come up he had multiple uh, different sexual assault incidents come up he got sued by multiple women who alleged that he intentionally gave them HIV by uh, by not informing them that he was positive that's uh, that's that's not uh, just a small thing that can be swept under the rug I mean we can look at his on-field stuff, and that's fine. Uh, he's a very good player, uh, an overrated player, but a very good player. I agree. Player. I think he's uh, overrated, and I think the reason why he's overrated is because he has ten gold gloves. Yes, I think it's he was a very good defensive second baseman. Very good. I don't know if he's ten gold gloves good, but very good as a defensive second baseman. But you look at his offensive numbers, and they mirror Lou Whitaker's almost exactly. Yeah. Um, they are a little bit below uh, Craig Biggio in a lot of, in a lot of ways, uh, certainly below uh, Eddie Collins and Nap Lajoie and Charlie Geringer and even Jeff Kent, yep. you know, who was a big power guy. Uh, I, I don't see a world where even if you take the character out of it, I don't see a world where Roberto Alomar is the number six best second baseman. Uh, so I've got a problem with with, with that. I, I think you can make a case for him to be on this list. I don't necessarily have a problem with him being on the list. Number six is too high. Uh, and I got a feeling whenever we do shortstop, we'll have a couple guys 
uh, <laughs> who will make the list that we will feel similarly about. But uh, I don't I don't understand Alomar at number six. I don't understand Alomar number six either. Honestly, I would rank Biggio higher. He's very similar to Whitaker, so I guess we can uh, lump him in with Whitaker. Um, I would I would not be upset if Kent was higher than him. I would not be upset if Utley was higher than him. Um, you know, to be honest, I think he is in the conversation of number 10, certainly nowhere close to number six. I just, I don't know. I don't know why he's up here. Um, and then, yeah, just on the field play, you know, you, you want to, you know, taking the, we've already talked about his off the field issues just on the field play. It was a good career, but it's not number six all time. Um, but I guess just like Corey Richmond said last year or last week, I guess defense matters. Defense matters. Uh, 10 time gold glove. And that's probably what got him up here. Um, well, 12 so, all-star appearances helps with that as well. A lot of exposure yeah. there. Yeah. Um, it was, it was, especially in the American league, it was a little bit of a, a downtime at the second base position as well. You think about the other second basemen of that era who were really good and they're mainly in the national league, you know, Sandberg um, and Biggio and guys like that were, were in the national league, not the American Right. Not only did he make the all-star game 12 times, he made it 12 times in a row from 1990 Hmm. to 2001. He was on the all-star team. And then he never made an all-star team ever again after 2001. Uh, So that's, and he led the league in plate appearances once in runs once. And that's it. Oh wait, no sacrifice hits. And sacrifice flies one time. I yeah. So there's that. Um, I don't know. I feel like you. I feel like this definitely number. He's not number six worthy. But I don't know. I didn't make the list. Well, technically, I did make the list. But baseball life made the list. So uh, let's move on. Number uh, Robbie Alomar, number six. Uh, all right. So we're moving into the top five. Number five. Rod Carew, and as an Angel fan, I had to put this Angels picture up there. I know he's in the Hall of Fame as a twin, but I had to put him up there as an Angel. Um, 19-year career with the Twins and Angels from 1967 to 1985. He played in 2,469 career games. Mind you, a lot of that was first base, but he made it. He made the list as a second baseman. Um, he's tied for 38th all-time in, uh, in career average. And in the top 100, tied for 95th and on base percentage, 328 and 393, respectively. He has a career 132 weighted runs created plus, 53rd all-time in war at 72.3. He played in 18 all-star games. Only one year that he was in the major leagues did he not play on the all-star team. That was his last season before he retired. He was a 1967 Rookie of the Year. He won MVP in 1977, and he's 28th all-time in hits at 3,053. Rod Carew at number five, I feel like maybe he should be a little lower, but definitely a top five second baseman. What do you think uh, over there, Kevin? Yeah, Carew's tough because he technically played more at first base. Yeah, uh, it's really close, uh, but he technically played more at first base. Uh, I think if you were to say, you know, top 10 players who played a lot of second base, I think, you know, he definitely is there. Um, Rod Carew is uh, one of those guys who was a contact hitter that uh, I think w- was so good 
at being a contact hitter that it's impossible to say that he wasn't a great hitter. You know, Tony Gwynn, Rod Carew, uh, those type of guys. He wasn't he wasn't just some slap hitter that was just okay. His bat to ball skills are some of the greatest ever. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you when you think of uh, the, what was, was it the ninety or the nineteen seventy five season maybe. Uh, the season where he, uh, or 77, 77 maybe, when he uh, absolutely tore the cover off the ball uh, with the, uh, I believe that was with the Angels. Uh, Might have been his last year with the Twins, but. 77 was, was with the Twins. With, so was that his last year with the Twins? It was his second to last year with the Twins. His last oh. year was 78. Okay. And, and Rod Carew who we learned in the Hanukkah song from Adam Sandler is a quarter Jewish. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rod Carew uh, is a guy that I think belongs on, on this list. Where you want to put him, I think largely will depend on how you view him as a second baseman versus first baseman. Uh, because in terms of just sheer batting production, especially, it's hard, it's hard to not put him in the top five or six. Right. Yeah, so that 1977 uh, season, he led the league in OPS 1,000 or 1.019 OPS. Uh, he hit and he hit a total of 14 homers. I just, I, I, yeah, and it's just because he his batting average 388, his on base percentage. 449. So he had such a high batting average that he could lead an OPS with 14 homers. That's how good of a bat to ball guy that Rod Carew was. He just was that guy. He was Tony Gwynn before Tony Gwynn came around. Um, I just, I don't know. I, re- I, I tend to appreciate contact guys, bat to ball guys, because it's really hard to do that. You know, if you can swing a bat, if you know how to swing a bat, you can run into one every once in a while and hit some homers. But it is really difficult to have that type of bat control and be able to hit the ball like Rod Carew did with as much bat control as somebody as as Rod Carew did. So I appreciate Rod Carew's career. I appreciate his style of hitting. Do I think he's number five? No. Um, But you know what's funny is even though he played more first base, I think of Rod Carew as a second baseman. So I would put Rod Carew on the list, but I would certainly put him probably more seven ish. The you know the seven the seven range. Um, we probably but, we probably think of him more as a second baseman because of how small he was, right? Probably. And he's probably he's probably not as as small as we think he was, but he was definitely small as a first baseman when he moved over there. Um, and he's and not he's, the he, pro, he's not a prototypical hitting profile of a first baseman. Right, right. He he much more mirrored the the hitting profile of the second baseman of the era, except like the best one. <laughs> you know, he was he was a guy who who you knew was going to be a good hitter. Uh, he stole a lot of bases too. You know, he he would sometimes hit first, sometimes hit second, sometimes hit third in his career. You know, he shared he shared a lineup with some good hitters, and whether he was knocking them in or he was getting on base to be knocked in by those guys. He was an excellent piece uh, in those lineups. And so I don't really have a problem with Peru at five, if we're willing to call him a second baseman, but it can't be any higher than that. Yeah. Um, I think five, six, maybe seven is appropriate. Yeah. Um, But Rod Carew is a great player, great hitter, a guy who probably deserves more credit than we give him. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think that's just because of the way we see hitters nowadays. We see hitters as more power. They need to have more power. And that's just was not his game, but he was still good at it nonetheless. Uh, let's move into number four. Our number four second baseman of all time. This is another one that I have a problem with. Ryan Sandberg is number four. He played a 16-year career with the Phillies and Cubs from 1981 to 1994, and then again in 1996 and 1997. He played in 2,164 games. He hit for a career 115 weighted runs created plus, has a 60.9 war, is has 10 all-star appearances, has, was one MVP in 1984, was a nine-time gold glove winner and a seven-time silver slugger. I'm going to let you talk about Ryan Sandberg at number four first before I talk about Ryan Sandberg at number four. Um, go ahead. I'll give you, I'll give you the floor. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to hear your, your grievance on Sandberg. Uh, but I, I do agree that I think four is too high. I think this is a product of being one of the most popular players of his era. Uh, there, there were a lot of years where Ryan Sandberg was, an elite player. There were a lot of years where Ryan Sandberg was an average player. And because he was so popular, a lot of times those average years get forgotten. Um, and so Sandberg with a career 115 WRC plus is somehow number four on this list when he belongs in, in the bottom half. That WRC plus is lower than uh, is lower than Lou Whitaker's, I believe. Uh, and um and is right around the same as Craig Biggio and uh, Roberto Alomar. But he did have the one year where he hit 40 bombs, and, and that's very impressive. But I think, I think because of that, um, because of that one year and his immense popularity and you know him playing for the Cubs, a top five team in terms of popularity, I think that puts him at number four a lot more than his actual production. Yeah, so – um, in 16 years of Ryan Sandberg playing baseball, seven of those seasons, he played below average baseball metrically, statistically, he played below average baseball in seven of those 16 seasons. There were many times he wasn't even the best player on his team because he played on teams with Leo Durham who hit better than him in a number of seasons. He played with Mark Grace, who in a number of seasons hit better than Ryan Sandberg. And at the end of his career, he played with Sammy Sosa, who also hit better than Ryan Sandberg, right? Now, his, pop, his popularity is definitely what got him up here because he was on a number of the lists that were turned into me. There was a number of them on there. And I think because of the sheer volume of the lists that he was on is a reason why he gets played up this high. But I believe if I remember correctly, he has the lowest war out of anybody on this list. He has the lowest weighted runs created plus out of anybody on this list. He has one of the lowest batting averages. He has one of the lowest. Um, I think he even has one of the lowest on base percentages. And yet he's number four on this list. Um, I just, I popularity really gets you places in, in greatest of all time lists. I think you're right. I think because he was so popular, they forget the fact that there were numerous years where he was just average or below average. Um, there were not very many, there were years where he was elite, but it was very inconsistent. Um, you're looking at 84 and 85. He did really well. 
And then you're looking at below average, average, average. And then again, in 89 and 90, and even 91, 92, he had a four-year stretch where he did really well. And then again, below average baseball. So it was, it's very spotty. It's very inconsistent. I'm not even sure you have a real peak here when it comes to Ryan Sandberg. So Ryan Sandberg being this high, I don't agree with. And I could even see him being off this list um, in terms of top 10 uh, first base or second baseman of all time. Um, this is the one that I have the biggest problem with Ryan Sandberg being this high. I could, I could be okay with him being on the list, but definitely not top four. That's my grievance with Ryan Sandberg. But I don't, I don't really understand how you can make an argument that he should be top five. I don't, I don't know how that argument really exists. I don't, I don't know either. Just congratulations, Cubs fans. He made it on the list. Um, you, you showed up. Thanks. Uh, so Ryan Sandberg at number four, who's number three, Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson is our number three second baseman of all time, playing 11 years with the Kansas city Monarchs and Brooklyn Dodgers from 1945 to 1956. He played in our lowest number of games on this list. 1,416. Although when you factor in, when you factor him in, he's 40th all time in on base percentage, he hit for a 135 weighted runs created plus he has a 57.2 war. Mind you, he's only three wins lower than Ryan Sandberg, and he only played five years less. Sorry. Uh, seven all-star appearances was the rookie of the year, 1947, and won the MVP in 1949. I am okay with Jackie Robinson being this high. While statistically, he, you know, he didn't play a very long career. Um, and you know, his, his war is low because he didn't play a long, a uh, long career. There are definitely other things on here that make him one of the greatest of all time. And it's essentially the impact that he's made on the game. I have no problem with uh, Jackie Robinson being this high on the list. Yeah. I, I think you have to, you have to have Jackie in the top five, um, you know, three, I don't have a problem with uh, some of it's a little bit theoretical, with Jackie, with it being a little bit shorter career. Yeah. Uh, some of that, obviously not his fault. Um, but he immediately comes in and is one of the best players in baseball um, to a league that uh, did not believe that most black players would be able to compete, compete. He comes in and is immediately one of the best players. Um, I do wonder why we so quickly think of Jackie Robinson as a second baseman when he spent a lot of his career at other positions as well. You know, he spent a lot of time at first base, spent some time in left field, third base, even right field. Uh, he was a utility guy uh, in a sense as well. Um, I, I think if you had to pick a position, you're going to pick second base. Uh, I'm not sure if he played more at second or at first. I think it's pretty close but he did come up as a second baseman. So I think that's an important thing to consider, but the, the play on the field's outstanding. Having a 400 uh, on base percentage, especially in that era is not, uh, not a common thing. I think we said it was 40th all time. Uh, he's just a great, great player. Great player, great ambassador for the game. I have zero problems with Jackie Robinson being up there um, in terms of games played by position. Um, he played the most at second base, 745. His next most was third base, 256. 
So oh, wow. he, he played significantly more at second base. Um, but then you're looking at 198 games at first. You're looking at 150 in left field. And you're looking at 34 at short and one game in right. So he did play significantly more of his career at second, but he did play quite a bit at other positions as well. That's good. I think I think what I must have been thinking of is if you add up the rest of his positions, it was kind of close to second base. Yeah. But still, you, yeah, he definitely played the majority at second base. That's good. Good to know. Um, that that makes me feel a little bit a little bit better. I believe I had Jackie. Uh, third or fourth on on my list as well. So that makes me feel a little bit better about putting him there. Yeah, I think you have to put him on here, if nothing else, for the impact that he made on the game. Um, Jackie Robinson, number three, rightfully so. Congratulations, Jackie. Uh, Number two, who was better than Jackie Robinson? Who is getting up above Jackie Robinson? Well, the first one, Rightfully so, Rogers Hornsby. In my opinion, Rogers Hornsby should be number one. Rogers Hornsby played a 23-year career with the Cardinals, the New York Giants, the Boston Braves, the Cubs, and the St. Louis Browns from 1915 to 1937. He played in 2,259 career games, is third all-time in average with a 358, is eighth all-time in OBP with 434 and 14th all-time in slugging, 577 in 23 years of playing baseball. He is tied for third all-time with 173 weighted runs created plus. He's tied for third all-time with Lou Gehrig and Barry Bonds. He is ninth all-time in war at 130.3. He won the MVP in 1925 and 1929. And in 1922 and 1925, he won the Triple Crown. Rogers Hornsby is not only one of the greatest second basemen of all time. In my mind, he's one of the greatest hitters of all time. Um, I mean, and the, the numbers don't lie. He's in the top 10, top 15 in a, a ton of offensive, in a ton of offensive numbers. When you, when you, you know, it doesn't matter what you filter in, you see Rogers Hornsby up at the top of the list. Rogers Hornsby, though, on our list is number two. Uh, what do you think there, uh, Kevin? Number two. Um, right place for Rogers Hornsby, or do you think he should be number one? I voted Hornsby number one. Uh, I don't. I don't have a, a large problem with him being two and our number one guy being number one. I think they are the clear top two, right at second base. Uh, although Hornsby was a guy who did bounce around a little bit positionally, uh, but when you just look at the sheer offensive prowess of Rogers Hornsby, it. It's almost it's it's almost unbelievable because we don't think of Rogers Hornsby in the same breath offensively as we think of Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and Barry Bonds, but he's right there. He's right there. Uh, he is uh, he is one of those guys who was outrageously feared as a hitter, and after baseball or after his playing career, when he tried to get into coaching. It didn't always go super well because he was so good at what he did. He did not understand how other guys couldn't do what he could do. Yeah. Just like how Barry Bonds struggled as a coach with the Marlins due to, to uh, some personality issues and some issues relating to guys who weren't as talented as he was. I think Rogers Hornsby ran into the same thing. Uh, which just goes to show how good he was as a player. I mean, 130 war is ridiculous. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. 173 WRC plus is, is pretty much insane. Uh, he was a guy, he walked a ton in an era where only the best players walked a ton, which tells you he was one of the best players. And he was a contemporary with Babe Ruth, Jimmy Fox, and Lou Gehrig, and Ty Cobb, and some other amazing players. Uh, I've, got, I've got no problem with Hornsby being in the top two and probably think he should be number one. Yeah. So, and not only is he walking in a time where only the good players walk, he is hitting for power in a time when people weren't hitting for power, right? In the same, th- this is about the same era as some of the other people we were talking about, the Eddie Collinses, the Nap Lajoways. Lajua- the, you know, the Those people were not hitting a ton of homers. But Rogers Hornsby hit 301 career homers. In again, in a time where you did not see home runs in baseball, um, in 1922, he hit 42 homers in 1925, he hit 39 homers. He did it again in 1929. You know, he hit for double digit homers in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 of his 23 years in a time where that's not, that's not how the game was played. And I uh, just, I would like to see Rogers Hornsby play today with the power that he had. I want to see what kind of power he would have in today's game. You know, that I just, that would be amazing for me to see. I want to know how many home runs he would, he would have with the shorter fences and things like that. Well, and especially when you consider that when he played for the the giants, right, you're talking about a, a massive field. Once you're, you're no longer, down the lines and he yeah. was known as a gap hitter. So yeah. how many home runs did he lose hitting into a deep, deep, deep gap there yeah. in New York? I know he, he obviously spent uh, more years with the, with the Cardinals, Braves, Cubs and Browns, you know, than he did with just the giants. But um, those years he, he lost some home runs. Uh, he was, he was a guy who uh, he, he didn't necessarily always play nicely with others though. <laughs> Uh, I know, I know after his playing career when he was coaching, I touched on a little bit earlier, but he got fired uh, at one point. Actually, I think it was when he was still playing. I think he was a player manager and he got fired uh, and sent to another team and his previous team threw a party, basically a, a, a ding dong, the witch is dead type party. Like he, they did not uh, have to suffer under the, the thumb of Rogers Hornsby anymore. And I think a lot of his problem was that he didn't understand why everyone else wasn't as good as he was. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard being one of the best hitters in the game. It's so tough. Poor Rogers Hornsby. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The other, the other metric that I'm looking at here that I think is, is pretty cool to, to talk about in seven seasons. If I'm, if I'm counting correctly, seven seasons. Yeah. In seven seasons, of his 23-year career, he hit 40 or more doubles. So you want to talk about gap-to-gap hitter. That's a third of his career. He's hitting more than 40 doubles in a season. That's a ton. And I'm looking at, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine out of his 23 seasons, he hit double-digit triples. So, you know, he's... Not only is he hitting it over the fence, but he's also hitting it in a gap, just as Kevin was saying, he's a gap to gap hitter. So I don't think it's a question that he's one of the best hitters in the game and top two, I have no problem with. So 
With Rogers Hornsby being number two, who did baseball life vote as number one? Well, I'm going to give it to you right now. Number one, Joe Morgan. Joe Morgan spent a 22-year career with the Astros, Reds, Giants, Phillies, and A's from 1963 to 1984. He's 39th all-time in career games played at 2,649. He's hit for a cool 135 weighted runs created, plus is a 98.8 career war. That's good for 21st all-time. He made 10 all-star appearances and won the gold glove five times. Joe Morgan. At number one, if I remember correctly, in the contemporary era, Joe Morgan has the highest, highest uh, F war. I could be wrong on that stat. Don't quote me on that. Um, personally, I think Rogers Hornsby should be number one and Joe Morgan at number two, but I have no complaints at Joe Morgan being number one, um, especially with some of the other things on this list that we've seen. Um, nonetheless, Joe Morgan gets the distinction as the greatest second baseman of all time, according to the baseball life Facebook group, Kevin, what do you have to say at Joe Morgan at number one? Very similar sentiments to you. I've got no problem with Joe Morgan. Number one, I voted him number two. Um, behind Rogers Hornsby, but Joe Morgan was, you know, he was known as Lil Joe, right? Because he was five six, five seven, um, but uh, he he could have been known as Big Joe too, with how good he was, right? He he actually, we don't really think of this. He played more years with the Astros than he did with the Reds. Yeah, but but he's he's most well known as being part of the Big Red Machine, and he was without a doubt the best player on the big red machine. You know, people want to talk about Pete Rose because he was very popular in his era because he was Pete Rose. And people want to talk about uh, uh, Tony Pena because he, or Tony Perez, excuse me, because he hit more home runs. Um, People want to talk about Ken Griffey Sr. because he's Ken Griffey Jr.'s dad. But Joe Morgan was the best player on those teams. And it wasn't really close. Joe Morgan uh, was an absolutely incredible baseball player. Um, he was in an era where not a lot of guys walked. He walked a ton, and he used that to his advantage as, as a guy who stole a bunch of bases and would take extra bases, um, you know, on, on balls put in play. A guy that if if you you think of who's a first ballot Hall of Famer, you would think Joe Morgan is the definition of first ballot Hall of Famer. He's also a really good guy from everything we were able to, to gather. And he passed away just, uh, I think, two years ago. Um, but uh, just a really good ambassador for the game, both as a, as a player and as a broadcaster. I know a, a, lot of, a lot of people did not necessarily enjoy the John Miller and Joe Morgan broadcasts. As a kid, I loved them on Monday Night Baseball. Uh, part of that is just because I loved listening to Joe Morgan. Um, so you want to talk about all of the players that he played with on the big red machine. I just clicked a random year on baseball reference. And the year that I happen to pick is 1974. So that in the 1974 season for the Cincinnati reds, the starting lineup at catcher, Johnny bench, first base, Tony Perez, Joe Morgan at second. Shortstop, Dave Concepcion. Uh, Left field, Pete Rose. Right field, Ken Griffey. In terms of OPS+, Joe Morgan beat them all. Not only did he beat them all, he crushed them. By far was the best hitter on the team, right? Um, You've got um, George Foster coming off the bench, right? You've got um, 
and that's just in 1974. I could probably click around on uh, to some of the other uh, big red machine teams, and it'd probably be more of the same thing. Um, with all of these good hitters that we talk about, we talk about Johnny Bench, one of the best, probably one of the best offensive catchers, um, one of the best catchers, period. Um, Tony Perez, a good hitter in his own right. Dave Concepcion. I don't believe Dave Concepcion uh, gets talked about a whole lot. Um, and not nearly as much as he should. Um, Dave Concepcion was a good shortstop in his own right. Um, you know, Pete Rose, we talk about Pete Rose all the time being, um, you know, there's an argument whether is he one of the best hitters of all time or is he overrated or things of that nature. Um, but, you know, uh, he, he's all-time hit king, you know, and I feel like Joe Morgan kind of gets, I feel like he kind of gets buried in that sense. You kind of almost forget that Joe Morgan played on that team. Right. But he was a better hitter than all of them, just like you said. Um, so nonetheless, Joe Morgan, number one. So that's uh, good. Good for Joe Morgan. I'm happy for Joe Morgan. Um, he beat out Rogers, Rogers Hornsby. I don't think he should have, but he does. Um, so that is that for our greatest second baseman of all time. Uh, do you have anything else to say about the sec- greatest second baseman of all time? I don't. I I think, I think it's a tough list because there are a lot of popular names uh, who played second base who are probably somewhere between seven and and 15 in reality in in terms of how good they were, but made the top 10 due to popularity. Um, You know, we, we, we had some help in the, in the chat there when we were talking about Ryan Sandberg, not being the best player on his team. We, We forgot to mention Andre Dawson was a better player Andre Dawson, that was another one. You know, when, when uh, Sandberg was supposedly uh, so amazing, Andre Dawson was a better player on that team. Um, and I think we see that with a lot of the guys that made this list. I think the top two are spot on. Um, you can flip flop them. Um, you know, if it were my list, I'd probably flip flop them, but they are definitely the top two. Yep. And then after that, it, get, it gets a little difficult because you got to weigh popularity. <laughs> with uh with the production right um so i'm gonna try and pull it up here really quick i forgot how close the voting is but if i remember correctly the voting for second base was not very close uh let's see uh for second base we've got joe morgan had 281 points then rogers hornsby was at 222 points jackie robinson was 204 let's see let's get down to obviously we talked about a lou whitaker and jeff kent were tied at 61 points and then nap lajouet 66 points he just barely beat out lou whitaker and jeff kent um and then the next one craig biggio had 88 points so it it wasn't even close Ryan Sandberg had 188 points. Next guy, Rod Carew had 154. He was comfortably in fourth place. It wasn't like, oh, one or two ballots. It could have gone into, no, like, uh, I don't know. I have, uh, Ryan Sandberg is the one that I have a huge problem with. I don't think Ryan Sandberg should have been in the top five. I could have even argued he could have been off this list, but that's just me. Um, if you if you flip flop Nap Lajway and Ryan Sandberg on the list, it looks a whole lot better. It does. Right? It, that that would look a whole lot better. I agree with you. Um, yeah. So 
I don't know, but that is the list. So once again, we have number 10, Lou Whitaker, number nine, Nap Lajoie, number eight, Craig Biggio, number seven, Eddie Collins, number seven, Robbie Alomar, number five, Rod Carew, Ryan Sandberg at number four, Jackie Robinson at number three, Rogers Hornsby at number two, and Joe Morgan takes the top as the greatest second baseman of all time. That is our show. We are wrap, or we're going to wrap up here. Uh, Kevin, you got anything to say? Any of parting remarks i don't have anything man except uh i hope that our next list looks a little bit better than this one yeah i wholeheartedly <laughs> agree so uh tune in next week uh we are going to be talking about the greatest shortstops of all time uh that one was a fun list to prepare and uh let's see i'm looking at it right now and knee-jerk reaction is uh I've got a couple issues with it, but it looks better than our second. It looks better than our second baseman. Um, I think I have a particular issue with one of them because I don't like them. So um, we'll see uh, when I, when we unveil the greatest shortstops of all time on the baseball life, Facebook group on the total bases express podcast. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening and tune in next week. And until next time, have a good one, everybody.